Good morning. This is Tom Clark here with my good friend Dave Henderson again, talking about a very interesting subject, and that is the subject about how we have come to the place in our lives where we have fear of supernatural things, supernatural beings, supernatural realms, and we're going to trace that back in history a little bit and then bring it up to our present day culture. Uh, before I go forward, I want to remind everybody that um, we have opened up the gates on patreon.com forward slash the father's heart for support. Uh, put it again at the end of the, this podcast. Um, <clears throat> Papa Tom's Tales um, dot com is where my children's books will be available. And the second book will be out in another month or two. And that's a book about transgender, actually. It's Luke, the light bearer, defeats the spirit of confusion, which is the, the book never describes the word transgender, but that's the, the setting. Um, and the whole subject is about the spirit of confusion and how that's the fear we're dealing with in that particular book. I've uh, decided to uh, take a turn more towards the nonprofit world in uh, raising money and doing our business activities in a nonprofit way and sense. So I'm putting all of our resources all of our podcasts, all of our blogs, all the articles, um, all of our books, whether they be ebooks, hard copy books, coloring books, audio books, everything is going to be available on patreon.com for our members. And it is our desire to create a community who understands and wants to receive everything that we can produce and is willing to spend a little money, a few dollars every month to help us produce massive amounts of media to be a blessing to you. So with that in mind, uh, I'd like to introduce the subject of how the traditions of men cause fear in people down through the millennia, actually, going even back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In his walking with Adam and Eve's walking with God they, in the garden, he was walking and they were communing with each other in the spirit. But when the Adam ate the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his spirit began to recede and die. And his soul began to have prominence over his spirit. And when that happened, there was a whole area of opportunity for Satan to continue to bring fear into Adam and Eve's lives through their soul. So that prominence switched from spirit prominence to soul prominence. And that change and exchange uh, was um, an extremely, obviously, pivotal moment in history, uh, to say the least. Uh, I want to share with you something I learned quickly now I'm thinking about this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast by Robin Bullock, and uh, I'm really following him. He's a I respect the I have respect for him as a prophet of the Lord, but even more so as a teacher of Scripture. And one of the things he was bringing out out of Scripture in the Adam and Eve story in the Garden was how Adam had the glory of God in him. And he used an example where he took a flashlight behind his hand, and he showed the flashlight shining behind his hand, and how the glow of the flashlight began to illuminate the skin. And the skin had a little reddish glow because you could kind of see through skin blood, right? The red blood, Adam meaning red, red mm -hmm. earth, blood, that all that stuff. But it was also the light behind it was like a form of glory. You see, that's just a replica of what it could look like. But when Adam sinned, 
the glory left him. And he looked at his body and the glory was gone. And what could he do? Now, having been raised Catholic, I realized that he took a fig leaf and put it on his private parts, <laughs> which is obviously just a, a traditions of men, which we'll go into in a minute, which really wasn't true. He didn't <clears throat> take the fig leaf and put it over his private parts. And he didn't take the three fig leaves and put them over her three private parts. And the sin wasn't sex, which is what we were in part. Again, all of those traditions of men stuff. What it was, was when Adam saw that the glory was gone, he covered his body with fig leaves. And he hid as, in the bushes. As if it were armor. Mm -hmm. It was like protecting his whole body from head to toe with fig leaves because <clears throat> the glory had left him. And uh, he had no glory left and he realized it. And that was also what brought in shame and all the other things that Adam had to deal with. So Dave, take it up from there. If we're starting with the Garden of Eden, we'll jump to 300 AD mm -hmm. with Constantine, and then we'll bring it right up to today and see how the traditions of men are affecting our lives with cancel culture, this woke situation, and uh, being politically correct, all those things in our current parlance in our current society and culture and how disruptive that is to interfering with our spirits coming forward. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh, in that sense there, Tom, is we have uh, kind of a misunderstanding in the scripture of spiritual things, especially demonic things. We look at every single time we have trouble as an attack from Satan. And in reality, in the scripture, Satan only showed up like seven times in the entire Bible. I mean, Satan himself. And the temptation of Adam, the time when David was tempted to number Israel, uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, uh, when Satan tempted Peter to speak against uh, the cross. And then in the end, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that God is going to lock Satan up for a thousand years and man's still going to rebel against God. There's going to be no demons or devils to lead us down that path. It's the fallen nature of man we're mostly at war with. So we've, our despite of that fallen nature, has caused us to now attribute everything to the satanic world. And that, don't, don't get this wrong. The satanic world is constantly fighting us. But everything we do wrong in our life our fallen nature is where he works that, that battlefield. And so what we're seeing today out of the fear of the supernatural that oftentimes happens by believers, and, uh, and we find it unusual because the new age loves the supernatural. The guys that are on Satan's side love the supernatural. Believers oftentimes are afraid to run away from it, pretend like it exists. So what we see in that battle there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is Satan trying to do and how is he trying to do it and what really is a satanic attack versus just the work of the flesh that's going on in our lives. Because most of the time we do like Adam did when he sinned, he turned to God and he said, well, the woman you gave me. And then the woman turns to God and says, well, the serpent. We're, we're pointing the finger someplace else but ourselves. When we sin, it's us that sin. Even if the devil's attacking us, the satanic forces, the demons, the principalities and powers are attacking us, you have no excuse that you yourself that sins. And once you have come to the point where you're willing to say, yes, I'm the one who sinned, I 
uh, repent of my sins. I turn my back is what repent means. Uh, metanoia means to turn away. I turn away from my sin. And even if you fall a thousand times after you've turned, you still stay on the path of turning away from your sin. Satan doesn't have the power over you anymore. Because he doesn't have the ability to make you afraid mm -hmm. of his power over you. Mm -hmm. And most of the time we walk in fear. You know, they used to always say this in the old days. They used to say, well, he looks for demons behind every every teapot. Mm -hmm. And many Christians do. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's the devil. And they, it's so much so that you could turn on TV and many shows. You hear people say, you hear people say, I rebuke you, Satan. And it's just, it's a, it's a common joke among people. Not understanding what they're doing. But... We, our greatest war is with the flesh in the mind and the, and the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we, we are spiritual beings. We're made, according to the scripture of Thessalonians, we're spirit, soul, and body. So we are a tripart being like our creator and we walk in the spirit. Once we've been born again, our spirit has been born again. It becomes the candle of God is what the scripture says. Like, the, like you're saying, the transparency that's in our soul and in our body in the sight of God and in the spiritual world, we're walking around like glow clubs. We're just walking around everywhere glowing, like the glow worm. You see that little glowing thing on his tail, or like a firefly. That's how we appear to the demonic forces and to the spiritual world because of the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. But that, the point I'm trying to get to is that when Adam sinned, the soul took prominence yeah. over the spirit. And we're walking around today, yes, we are spiritual beings, and we don't want to spend any time concentrating about the devil, but we want to talk, spending much more of our time and our consciousness focused on heaven and God, which many of the times we're not. We're not focused on heaven. We're not because we're not putting our spirit man in prominence over our soul. If we would make that choice to put the spirit as prominent over our soul, we would be more conscious of heaven. We'd be more conscious of the presence of God. We were more conscious of Ruach Kadesh, the spirit of God living within us consciously. Mm -hmm. We kind of dampen that down. Uh, if you look at a 24-hour day and, and 23 hours of the 24 hours, we're living out of our soul, right? Or sometimes 24 out of 24 hours. We're not living the spirit at all. And we're not conscious of it all. We're not in contact with heaven. And oftentimes, we, you mentioned before, we're running away from the spirit world, we're running away from heaven, we're running away from the supernatural, whereas the sons and the daughters of God should be running towards heaven, opening our spirits to what God is telling us and speaking to us and not being afraid of anything. So let's introduce the next concept, which is this concept of um, Mithras and how um, the traditions of men which is actually paganism. Mm -hmm. The traditions of men started with paganism, entered the church, and how Satan used pagan rituals and pagan thoughts, creating the traditions of men in the Catholic Church originally with Constantine, and then later on to the Protestant churches, even with Luther, to uh, conflict our minds and introduce pagan thoughts and ideas that were obstacles, really, to our spirit seeing things. And my, when you get traditions of men, what ends up happening, he puts a veil over the word of God. So the sons and daughters can't see it. They can't really see it and relate to what the word is really saying because the traditions of men are in the way. As Jesus said, the traditions of men 
make the word of God to no effect. How do they do that? They put a veil over it so we can't see it. <clears throat> We're being told that Christmas is December 25th, the birthday of Mithras. Oh, how'd that become the birthday of Christ and Jesus? Well, it wasn't. Nobody thinks it was back then, but that was just one example of many examples where all of the Hebrew traditions that God gave the Hebrews, even before they were Hebrews, the, uh, the holiday the days, the feast days, many of the feast days existed prior to Jewish people being Jewish. Well, the Jewish people picked it up. In the Hebrew world, uh, the Old Testament picked it up even before uh, Abraham uh, and even before Moses, I should say. It was all picked up in that, that uh, in their sense of what God wanted for them. And yet we trash those things and we celebrate Christmas. You know, I looked at our holidays and I thought there's only one holiday in America, in our culture, that's not a pagan holiday. You know what it is? Thanksgiving. Probably. Thanksgiving, yeah. That's the only one. But we don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or anything that's in the scripture. And yet we're told to do that until he returns. So well, let's get into Constantine and what happened with Mithras. Well, just to give a little background on uh, Constantine, which is in the 300s, let's go back to the beginning of when the Roman Empire uh, grew, because that's where this all comes from. We, we are today living in the throes of the Roman Empire still. Even though we don't call the thing the Holy Roman Empire we still live in this concept of the Roman Empire and its effect on, because all of Western civilization was affected. So the Caesars, starting back with Julius Caesar, they would appoint from uh, Caesar Augustus onward a title for the Caesar to glorify him. Even the name Caesar Augustus, which his real name was Julian, uh, even that name itself means the August one or the like, the glorified one. And they, they would appoint the title Pontificus Maximus. And one of the things that the Romans did, the Roman Senate did this. Tell them what that means. Yeah, Pontificus Maximus means, uh, it's the guy today that we call the Pope, but it really means the leader of the religions of Rome. So so uh, starting with Caesar Augustus, very strongly. Highest priest. Yeah, the highest guy in it. From that moment on, he would go around everywhere uh, conducting the big ceremonies that they needed to have per year at the altar of Jupiter, which is what the Romans served. But, but the interesting thing is, is throughout the Roman world, because they were a nation that just conquered and conquered, at that, that time, one quarter of the world's population, any gods that they saw in a society that they admired, they would actually vote on making them part of their uh, pantheon of gods. So they went in, they got Zeus, they went in, they got all these different gods, right? And Tertullian, who was a, uh, a Bible apologist in the 300s, uh, wrote, because of the persecutions, wrote to Caesar and laid out an entire treatise on why Christians shouldn't be persecuted. And in this uh, treatise, one of the things he mentions is that Claudius Caesar himself went to the Roman Senate when he heard about Jesus Christ and tried to get the Roman Senate to vote to make Jesus part of that pantheon of gods. But the Roman Senate said, we would do that except not enough things of miracle things that we've seen have happened in our site here in Rome to make us say that it's a substantial uh, thing to receive. So what happened is you see this kind of thing going on in the Roman world 
And at the same time, God moves on Rome, even in Caesar's house, as Paul says, by his day, which is about, uh, I guess, uh, within like 35 years of Christianity's of, of the resurrection of Jesus. So you see this great movement of God going on in Rome, and they have a bishop of Rome. And eventually, that bishop of Rome became one with the Caesar. So when Constantine uh, became a believer, when he said he, he committed himself to Christ, um, he hooked up with the Bishop of Rome, and eventually those two positions became synonymous so that everything that was in the Roman tradition was 100% adopted into the Christian tradition in the same way that the Jews adopted all kinds of other things around them into the uh, Jewish tradition. Everything in the Roman tradition was adopted in, into the Christian tradition just verbatim, except they changed the names. You know, the, the, the name of Saturn, all these different names. They changed it and made uh, uh, saints, quote unquote, out of individuals. That's how that's what uh, scholars today call synchronization, where you mix the two together. And this is what we're talking about with what you're saying there is they mix together all of these religions and the head of the church in Rome, because Rome was the center, of course, of. The world at the time, there was the Eastern Empire and the Western Roman Empire. The Eastern Empire uh, was ruled by what they call a patriarch, and the Western Empire was ruled by a bishop that eventually became the Roman, actual Roman emperor uh, and called Pontifus Maximus. And that's where we got that concept, and we see that today. The same thing as the Pope. The word Pope means that who they say is what? The Bishop of Rome. Right. And they brought in all of these. It also mentions the vicar of Christ. Yeah, the vicar of Christ. So they started bringing in all of these other concepts that religions had dominant within them that, the, that were in the pagan world the Romans had conquered. And, and so that infected Christianity even to this day. The whole concept of it infected Not just the Catholic Church, but the Protestant yeah. Church as well. The Protestant Church became Catholic Junior. Right. Is basically what it became. Let's go back to everything the Pope wears. Yeah. The staff. Right? The mitre. The mitre hat, which is that funny looking fish thing, which actually came from the the religion of Dagon, mm -hmm. where they where they had the mitre hat because it represented the fish's mouth. Right. So they, they would the priest of Dagon would wear that, and that was adopted in there. All these other things were adopted in there. For whatever reason, these guys did this synchronization. They did it. But you see it today a lot of times. You see people talk about native spirituality in the Christian circles as if there's a kind of spirituality outside of Jesus Christ that we need to adopt to enhance Christianity. Right. And it's, and not, it's, true. it's not true. It's not in the word. No, it's not it's in the word. It's not the, it, yeah, none of that's in the word. It's all, but it's all meant to put a veil. See, that's what I'm trying yeah. to get to. The point is that it puts a veil and that veil will stay there to the extent that we look at things through the eyes of our soul. Yeah. See, our mind and emotions that are in our soul sees things a certain way where the enemy can deceive them, but he can't deceive the spirit in the same way. So if our spirit is prominent over our soul, we won't be deceived by those things that the enemy trips us up with in religion. And we're just giving you some examples. There's incredible amount of examples of these <laughs> things. If you really want to study them, we don't have time and we don't have the energy. It's not our purpose today 
to bring up all these things if one were inclined to study where these traditions come from. Mm -hmm. We're more uh, uh, motivated to bring out things. How do you get around this? How do you get past this? Uh, another feature of the Catholic Church or uh, and everything going through the, the Baltimore Catechism that I studied and all these things that, uh, and by the way, I have nothing against Catholic people. It has, a, it has to do with the individuals. It has to do with the institution that is deceiving the people, which is what I know in the Father's heart, the heart of my Father God, he hates religion. Mm -hmm. He hates religion because it interferes with his relationship with his sons and daughters. He doesn't want anything interfering with his sons and daughters with the relationship. And he only can touch them and relate to them in spirit, in spirit and in truth. That's what scripture says. Mm -hmm. That's what the whole thing was about at the well. So when the Samaritan woman met Jesus at the well, you are going to worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He goes, the day is coming and now it is that you're not going to worship on, on this mountain or in Jerusalem, right? But in spirit, God wants us to worship in spirit and truth. So there we are. Is our spirit prominent? And in our spirit being prominent, we need to be willing to overcome the fear of the supernatural, overcome the fear of doing those things. I want to share with our, our audience today. I had a very interesting uh, time this past weekend with my son, Jonathan, and I went to St. Charles, Missouri, and we attended a conference uh, put on by Dr. Ron Horner. And Dr. Ron Horner was speaking about the courts of heaven. But a lot of the time, we never got into the technicalities of the courts of heaven, at least not from a technical, uh, you know, writing down on uh, pieces of paper or, or uh, that kind of experience. It was more experience the courts of heaven live. But uh, more importantly than that, it had to do with engaging in the spirit and uh, being open to the spirit world and understanding that heaven is not a destination. Well, I mean, in one sense, it is a destination, but... For our purposes and for God's purposes of wanting us, his children, to understand, God the Father's heart wants his children to understand heaven is a resource. Just don't look at it as a destination. Look at it as a resource so that we can implement and execute the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring the resources of heaven down onto the earth. Bring healing onto the earth. Bring the goodness of God the Father onto the earth. Bring joy, peace. Everything that, everything that God has in heaven that's good, he wants it on the earth. Well, how is it going to get there? It ain't going to get there through Satan. I'll tell you that. It ain't going to get there for people who don't know him. It's not going to come from people who are not the sons and daughters of God. And it's not going to come onto the earth through the sons and daughters of God whose minds are veiled to the truth that's in the word because they're afraid. They're afraid of the supernatural. They don't want to recognize that they we all have guardian angels. It's right in the word. We have guardian angels, right? Well, I had an experience, I'll share with our community, that I asked one of the one of the people that was at that conference, the executive assistant to Dr. Ron Horner was Donna Nieper. And she was a tremendously gifted seer. And I went up to her and asked her, um, what is my guardian angel's name? And she prayed and asked, my angel to come near to me and it came near and he saw she saw him and he said his name was Gregory he had to call him Greg so I was introduced to my guardian angel and I began to talk to him and the following day when I when he left the conference on Sunday I lost my glasses and I said well I'm going to try this thing out 
I said, Father, I said, I would ask Gregory to go find my glasses and bring them back to me. Because I called up everybody. I called up the hotel. I called up the uh, um, the breakfast where we had breakfast. I called up um, the, um, uh, where was it? The uh, Enterprise you know, car rental. The three places where I could have possibly had called, but nobody saw the glasses. So long story short, basically, I took the flight, did all I could do, prayed about it, asked my father to take Gregory. Sure enough, I arrived back at Dulles Airport, and uh, there's a text message from a woman named Kelly from the Fairfield Marriott Hotel telling me she found the glasses. And where could she send them? I said, Gregory, I think that's a good confirmation that your name is Gregory and that you are my guardian angel. So I'm going to ask the father to give you some elixir, because I understand that you like that. And, you know, it, it was a very natural way of me interacting with the supernatural. And I was very comfortable with it. Now, people may think I'm crazy. That's okay. But this is Papa Tom, so I don't care. <laughs> um, I'll tell you something very interesting, too, on top of that story, or part of that story, was of the three places I called, one place was the restaurant. And I remembered I was there talking uh, with two friends for a while. And we spent like two hours or more at the restaurant. And we talked about a lot of things. We were there for quite a long time. And uh, we had a very vivacious um, uh, waitress. She was a black lady, young lady, probably less than 30. And uh, heavy stat. Um, very, very friendly. Full of joy. She was just so attentive to everything we need. She was like jumping all over us, everything we need. And she kept coming back, anything else, anything else. And she was so happy and so comfortable in serving the stuff. And I said, we said, what is your name? And she said, her name is Faye. So I thank you, Faye. And we kept calling her Faye throughout the time we were there. So uh, when I called the restaurant and uh, told them that I'd lost my glasses, I may have left them on the table uh, outside. I was outside with two other people and we had a waitress named Faye. And the owner of the restaurant said, we don't have a waitress named Faye. We never had an waitress named Faye. And I thought to myself, oops. <laughs> Was that an angel God gave us? I don't know. I'm just saying. So uh, without this thing of like trying to depict the Twilight Zone situation where it's do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You don't want to scare your poop out of you because they're thinking about the supernatural things. It's very natural, and it should be very natural for us to engage with the supernatural and be open to this. As Dave mentioned before, the other side is very comfortable with the supernatural. They love it. They love the supernatural, and they're making all sorts of deals, right? And they're sacrificing all sorts of children and everything else that Satan wants in exchange for power. And we're over here not making any deals in our prayers. We're, we're backtracking, being all sorts of defensive in our prayers when the resources of heaven are available to us and the ministering spirits, which are angels, could go get those things from heaven at our Father's command. Yes, we're, talking, we're praying to God the Father. But we don't even spend the time, we don't even consider that as part of our activity. You know, it's kind of interesting. I've had a lot of experience dealing with New Agers in the city of Washington, D.C., some of them that met regularly at the White House with uh, Hillary Clinton on a basis, on a regular basis practicing witchcraft when the Clintons were in office. And it always reminded me of a baby playing with a fork and a light switch. It's what they, they love to play with it. They got no idea 
how it's going to destroy their their gonna stick their whole that. experience. That you know, the believers we've all been brought into the redemption, and Paul says in uh, Hebrews chapter five and six, where he's talking to the uh, Hebrew saints, and he's talking about them becoming uh, children needing milk again. And he says, it's impossible for those who have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And what he's talking about there is the word heaven literally just means the spiritual world is what it means. And so we have partaken of the heavenly things, the spiritual things, and they are in our spiritual man, in our physical man, in our soulish man, uh, I will call it converting us. Let me say converting us, because oftentimes we just view our conversion as a one time I got converted. And, and then there is some truth in it. We're saved at that one moment we made a commitment. But the conversion oftentimes takes a while through our life for us to really start living what we had. And Paul was writing to those Hebrew saints and he's saying, look, those that have partaken of the powers of the age to come, if you fall away from that, it's impossible for us to renew you back to that. And he was talking about the human ability to renew somebody that can only come from God. You have to be renewed by God. But in speaking of the powers of the age to come, you have to view the Christian life in this way. God gave us the natural world, the natural birth, just like our, how we, every one of us is born. We had an umbilical cord tying us to our mother like an astronaut doing a spacewalk, except ours was an internal spacewalk inside of our mother, inside of her, her womb. And it's just like when you see those astronauts up in NASA, well, every year they get them up there and they're out there floating around the shuttle with that cord tied to them and that uh, spacesuit. That's exactly us in Christ, in the things of God, except we're inside in the powers of the age to come. God is feeding us through this great umbilical cord, the power of the age to come, the supernatural things of the world to come. And so we partake of the things of heaven. And the things of heaven have a different value system than the things of earth. Because the things of earth don't value anything other than what you can see, hear, taste, or touch. But the things of heaven uh, can give us the ability to understand what God values. That's what he means when he tells us to, to repent is we come to an understanding of what he values and we come to that by relationship with walking in the spiritual world, in this spiritual world. So a believer should never fear walking in the world that God inhabits by his spirit. Absolutely true. We should always, we should never be looking at it as, Oh God, I've got to be, I've got to make sure that everybody doesn't pound on me from that other world. We just walk by, walk by faith. A fish does not struggle against the water that it's in. A bird doesn't struggle against the air that it's flying in. We're the exact same way. We've been put into a spiritual world. We are spiritual beings that are encased in a physical body that have got to learn to live in this physical body, but the reason it's harder for us to do is because we spent so much time dead in our sins. Now that we've been in life, we've got to forget the dead ways and grab a hold of the spiritual life way. Uh, corollary to that is we need to be putting our spirit man 
prominent over our soul and our body. Yes. We're spiritual beings having natural experiences, not natural beings having spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. So we have to put the spirit first. You have to experience all the things of God and experience all the things of heaven on the earth, right on the earth now, not in the future, on the earth now. We have to make our spirit prominent. And we're not let the, you know, the, the flesh uh, jump up, or our body slump up and take demands over our spirit, or our soul make demands over our spirit. And that's where the enemy tempts us. Most Sometimes in the body, you know, physical things like lusts and stuff like that. But a lot of time it's in our minds. It's in a lot of the wars. Most of, a lot of the wars in the mind uh, and the war that the weapons he warfare he uses is all fears. If he can intimidate us with fear, he can dominate us. And if he can't intimidate us with fear, he's lost. He has lost that war. That's exactly true. You know, the scripture said, perfect love casteth out fear. And we've, we have got to walk with the understanding that Satan comes to darken our minds from the truth. So when we deal with things around us like the new age and all these other things, we use the word occult. And it's an, it, a good picture if you want to understand this meaning of this word is up until the early part of the 19th century, uh, they used to call Venetian blinds occulters. And that's what Satan does. He darkens a room. He veils us so we can't see clearly what God's trying to say. And he does it by playing on our mind and the high things that exalt himself against the knowledge of God that the scripture says to cast down and to bring into captivity. Every thought, every reasoning is what the word there is, reasoning. We got all these reasons why the way that the word of God says these things have to be, we have all the reasons why they can't be that way. And the word of God is given to us so that we can divide asunder between the soul and the spirit. And the soul of man, though it has a lot of good things that we see about it, we call the angels of man's nature. You often hear that term used, that, that uh, phrase. The reality is the soul of man is still unredeemed. No matter how good man does, and men do great things and good things for others, no matter how good it is, if they're not part of the redemption, it's not something that will cross into the next world, into the spiritual world, with the weight of gold and silver and value in that world, in the comparison to the gold and silver and value of this world. We, we look at things in gold and silver and say, well, that's such a rare commodity. It has great value. So God utilized that term in order to give us an idea that there's certain things he highly prizes in his arena, in his arena. And it's a it's a contrite and humble spirit. It says he has showed the old man uh, what is good and what does the Lord require thee to love mercy, to do justly and to walk humbly with your God. We have got things that we're to do because that's where we're affected. Jesus walked on this earth. 100 percent God. 100% man, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and yet he did not rely on his Godhead, on being 100% God in order to deal with what he dealt with every day. He relied on walking as a man of faith. Son of man. He kept in order to make us know that path was ahead of us. Jesus always described himself and the things that he did as a son of man because mm-hmm. he knew that it, he was trying to show us an example. He couldn't show us what God would do in his situation because we weren't God. We could only do it as man. And he knew what God would do. Everybody knows what God would do if they're thinking, reason out. Right. Right. That all being said, you know, um, he was the second Adam, right? So he was, uh, 
he, he walked in the same cloth, if you will, or flesh that Adam walked in and all the miracles that were performed, he understood how to bring the resources of heaven onto the earth. He also thought and acted and knew. His thought process was interdimensional. See, we tend to think, if, if we're gonna think in a three-dimensional way, we can only think on the natural side of earth, three-dimensionally. If you move fourth-dimensionally, you go to the time. But if you go multi-dimensionally, you're thinking past what uh, is just in three-dimensional space, which is what we can see with our natural eyes. Abraham, uh, as a um, father of many nations, understood um, the world from a certain perspective that appeared to be interdimensional. Example of that would be when uh, he and Lot parted ways. He had Lot choose what he wanted to do what land he wanted. So Lot, being a good Jew before he knew he was a Jew, <laughs> picked the most fertile valley he could possibly pick, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And despite the fact that he picked the most fertile valley and it didn't go well for Lot, Abraham picked what was not as attractive and yet ended up with all the wealth. Now, how did that work? Because he understood certain principles of heaven, like mm -hmm. seed, right, plant, and harvest is one example of a foundational principle that works interdimensionally. And it's this kind of knowledge that Abraham had, passed it on to Isaac, passed it on to Jacob, and you know who Jacob passed it on to? Joseph. Think about that. So these are all things that knowledge get passed down in the word. We have it in the word. They didn't even have the word back then. Yeah. Right? That was even before Moses wrote it down. And, so, you know, an interesting thing when you're bringing up uh, the second man, Adam, which was Christ. Um, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. And he lived by his nature, physical nature. And the last man, Adam, was a quickening spirit. And the reason God says in Corinthians, the last man, Adam. You think about that. Jesus was the last person that had to walk unassisted in the way that we could be assisted on the earth. He, when he came through, he was the firstborn of many brothers. He opened the door for us as sons of God, sons and daughters of God, to walk in the spirit. He was the last man that had to walk in this physical body in the way that Adam did. So we, we've been made in a image not of Adam. Even though we bear the image of Adam in our face, our body, our physical structure, we've been made in the image of Christ, who, when Jesus came up off of that grave, no longer was flesh, bones, and blood, but was then flesh, bones, and spirit. And we've been, this scripture says that the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. He'll quicken your mortal bodies. Our bodies are becoming alive, even though they're dying. The physical Their body. physical body is dying. We are becoming living in Christ, and we don't have to live by the nature. And that's why God honors martyrs more than so many things that we see in, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the martyrs, it talks about them missing the great white throne judgment. It said, after it talked about the martyrs, it says, then the rest of the dead came before the great white throne judgment. And the reason is because the martyrs literally decided 
the spiritual world was more important even than their own physical world mm -hmm. that they lived in and their own physical body. And that's what the root of the word witness, when Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses, is when we put that first. And that's the important thing. All of our struggles, according to James, is over uh, what we want, mm -hmm. what we want. We want this. These guys should have done this for me. I should have had this. And those struggles are oh, I'm, I'm offended because yeah. they didn't do Yeah, this. they didn't do what I wanted them to do. And it becomes a struggle like, like, like if you look in the sea and you see the bigger fish eat the smaller fish and eat the next one, eat the next one up. It's a struggle like that among humanity outside of Christ. We are living in a vicious cycle of the first Adam's world outside of Christ. In Christ, we now partake, just like I said a few minutes ago. We now have tied to Christ like a, a, a baby in the womb of a mother. And, and the scripture said that Jesus is the anchor of our soul. God has anchored us to the heart of the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the anchor. He's anchored us so that we can survive whatever's going on. He's anchored us to the soul of God, to the very heart of the Father. Let's talk for a moment about where we are today with woke culture. Mm. In our culture today, oh, by the way, before I go further with this, I want to thank our audience that we have increased our circulation from 115 countries now to 139 countries. Wow. So now I got to be really more cognizant of the fact that we're more international than just America. But for those who are listening outside the United States, we're talking about a culture, we're talking principally about America. Um, and though it affects cultures worldwide, the same concept, the same evil thrust to make it woke, to be people to be politically correct, and this idea of cancel culture, it's all using fear. It's all trying to create new traditions, new traditions of men raised up against the word of God and causing us to be afraid if we don't follow them. It's all attacks against our minds. And the solution to any of that stuff is a solution of the spirit. Make your spirit, place your spirit ahead of it. Tell your soul to take a step back. Tell your body, step back. Tell your own spirit man, step forward. And in the forwardness of the, your spirit, you can see these things. Because in many times, the scripture tells us to fear not. I think even Sean Hannery brings it up sometimes on his show. He says, fear not, let your heart not be troubled. Well, that's biblical. That's truthful. That's the truth. Fear not, let your heart not be troubled. Have a paradigm shift. Have a paradigm shift in your mind. Well, I shouldn't say mind. Have a paradigm shift in your will to choose your spirit over your, your mind. Let your spirit lead. Don't forget about your mind. Tell your mind what to think, uh, the logic and so forth. But the assumptions have got to be different. And the first thing that we'd like you to consider doing is shift your paradigm from thinking of heaven as being a destination to heaven being a resource. And that your communication with God, your father, and maybe by agency of your guardian angel, can bring the resources of heaven into your life and into your experience. You know, it's an interesting thing. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking about um, being a bondservant of Jesus Christ in Ephesians, was using a specific word that was used in the Roman world for another thing altogether. And what you had to do in the Roman world is what, what happened in making uh, Augustus Caesar and all the Caesars from then on 
the, in the Senate declaring them Pontificus Maximus, they literally were saying that they were the sons of God. They were the son of God. So what you had to do, and this is almost all that Rome required of you. Rome was, Rome was not a bad place to live unless you were trying to live out the life as a real Christian or a Jew, because they would let you do whatever you wanted to do, worship whatever God you wanted to worship, except you had to add to that once a year, you had to light a candle and declare your allegiance to Caesar as the son of God and you as a servant to him as the son of God, not to him as your president, him as your commander in chief, but him as a son of God. And that's why the Roman soldiers at the crucifixion of Jesus, their statement when they looked at Jesus and they said, surely this man is the son of God, was so dramatic in history because they were sworn allegiance from all of their life as Roman soldiers to declare only one man, the son of God. And that was Caesar. And they saw Jesus at that moment in his deity in the cross. So Paul used this term. He said, Paul, when he said, Paul, the bond servant of Jesus Christ, he used that particular term that was used in the Roman world for the bond servant. He said the same way. In other words, this, the pathos you have towards your position of holding Caesar as God, I hold Jesus. I'm his servant. And it's in that arena that we participate in the powers of the age to come. Right. And it's at that point from then on through the book of Ephesians, you start out where Paul begins to go from that point on where he declares the mystery of God in the church and what he's going to do in the long run, which is that the church will see the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the church in his fullness. I remember when you said that, that the same Hedron, when they went up before Pilate and they were starting to accuse uh, Jesus and Pilate was having none of it, right? He went to wash his hands of the situation. They went further to say that he says they made it a political issue. Remember? Mm -hmm. And this is where the spirit of religion, the spirit of you know politics went together. And they said, he says he's, a, he's like Caesar. Yeah. Remember? They accused Jesus of claiming that he was the son of God, which was in conflict with what Caesar claimed himself to be. And the ironic thing is, in that day, everybody knew the scam. Everybody knew that the, the whole position of Herod being king, of the Sanhedrin being what they were, because they wiped out most of the Sanhedrin that were Bible-believing Jews. And they had come to the point where the high priest himself was appointed by Rome, not, not by lineage right. relating back to, to leave the, the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood, but by Rome as a political position. And they said exactly what was their natural reaction. We have no king but Caesar. Mm -hmm. And in the year of Jubilee, and that's what happened in our lives from the time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the uh, book of Acts, at the Pentecost, in the upper room, from that moment on, we are in the year of Jubilee, in the last days in the year of Jubilee, and everything goes back to its rightful owner in the year of Jubilee. Everything, good and bad. The nature of everything is revealed to be what it ends up being. It reminds me of this day and age when the Illuminati picked Biden and wiped yep. out all the people in Congress and Senate who were constitutionalists. So there was no form of constitution, constitution the three forms of branches of government that would override 
a defrauded election with those Dominion, hear the word, Dominion voting machines. Yeah, that's that's the ironic thing is, is we are caught right this moment in the middle of the throes of a shaking in the world. And I would say in the last year, Western civilization has changed more than it's changed in a thousand years just because of all the stuff that's going on and the drastic shaking. But the greatest problem that's happened in all of this is the utter fear that possesses the mind of the individuals who bought into the darkness. We have nothing to fear but God, nothing to fear but God. I'm not saying there is no virus. I'm not saying that viruses can't kill. But what I am saying is there's always been viruses. According to scientists, we have 50 billion viruses that have encountered the human body in our lifetime. 50 billion viruses. At any time, those things could tear us down and destroy us. But we have got to put our trust in God. That says some men trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And that was said while the entire Egyptian army was coming to take them back to Egypt. And, and they stood there and they said, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And then God opened the sea and drowned the army of Egypt. That's further, we need to bring it to a close here, my friend. But that's exactly where we are right now. It's supernatural. And we just open our audience to the thought process to put their, and encourage them to put their spirits first and engage the supernatural. We uh, need to bring this podcast, like I said, to a close, and we would appreciate any of your time and attention that you could spend on patreon.com forward slash the father's heart, or find us anyway, just put the father's heart in. We're finding ourselves all over the place now. We're on Audible, we're on iTunes, we're on Apple, uh, and uh, you can also find us on the, on the internet. So thank you very much for your support. And uh, we will be adding music to these podcasts in the very near future. Thank you and take care.